You're listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine, a roundup of this week's leading stories and industry comment from the world of investor relations. Direct from our central London studio, here's your host, Lori Havlock. This week on the Ticker Podcast, the top IR challenges for 2016, how trends in shareholder targeting are changing, and five reasons to get a job in IR. Welcome back to the Ticker Podcast. It's a weekly roundup of the top stories from around the world of investor relations. Everyone's back in the IRMAG studios. I'm with Tim Human, Garnet Roach, and Condice de Montpetit. Hello. Hello. And first, uh, it's one of the stories dominating US headlines and actually UK headlines at the moment as the race for president hots up. Now, we're a little behind the news over the pond in the UK, but last weekend's Republican debate provided a few moments of note, not least of which was everyone's apparent inability to find the right rostrum to stand behind. It's pretty funny if you haven't seen the video already. Uh, It was a case of prepared remarks going awry, something I'm sure some IROs have regrettably had some experience of. For Republican Senator for Florida, Marco Rubio, he was caught out live on air as he repeated himself word for word several times right in a row about 30 seconds apart let's dispel once and for all with this fiction that Barack Obama doesn't know what he's doing he said repeatedly he knows exactly what he's doing it led to some wags dubbing him a master of robot rhetoric and before several protesters dressed as androids appeared on the Rubio campaign trail and actually kind of tried to accost him pretty physically I don't think that'd be very fair in IR though if you had one of your earnings call mistakes come to haunt you every single roadshow stop you did shortly afterwards people dressed in fitting costumes well, it's uh, AGM season coming up, isn't it? So there'll be some protests that IR teams and, and, the, and their companies will have to be dealing with. I remember, I think it was uh, Nestle, um, people were complaining about the, uh, the, some of their impact on palm oil uh, plantations. And so protesters abseiled from the roof in um, orangutan costumes. <laughs> that sounds like an excuse to dress up as an orangutan more than anything. I can't remember the details of this one. I think it must have been a European firm, but I just remember I remember the incident of one investor waggling a sausage above his head during a CEO's remarks and shouting something about sausages. Again, I'll have to look that up before this goes out, unless that's a strange dream I had. I think my, my favourite speech for the, during the US election campaign so far was um, the one that Larry David did on Saturday Night Live impersonating Bernie Sanders. Oh, yeah, I saw that, yeah. When he said that... Um, He's only got one pair of underwear and there are billionaires out there who have got at least three or four pairs of underwear. I liked when he said that he uh, doesn't even have have a backpack and he has to carry all of his things loose in his arms (laughs) like a teacher between lectures. I I, I think Bernie would be a very fun president to have, very different anyway from Obama. Anyway, obviously the ticker is going to be the first place for your uh, US political updates. Hopefully Mr. Rubio's humiliating uh, speech is not something that most IROs are going to have to deal with this year. But Tim, what challenges are awaiting them? Yes, we've had a look at some of the challenges facing IROs uh, in 2016 uh, this week on our website. And um, so I've picked a few of them out to talk about now and also some of, the, some of the bits of advice that people have been given when we've spoken to them about this. So one of the key challenges, which we've seen a lot of this week in particular, I think is, is market volatility. Um, and also economic volatility as well. So some, some IR teams are going to be dealing with um, you know, special situations as a result of these issues in the market. For example, I spoke to one this week who was involved in a, a major dividend cut. And so there's lots of decisions around how to talk about it, when to release it, how, how to convince investors it was the right idea. So th- those, are those kind of situations are going to be popping up. Uh, we spoke to Sue Skulls about this, the chair of the UK's IR Society. Um, as she pointed out, for, for most IROs, actually, um, you know, the sort of best practice advice in this kind of market, it doesn't, doesn't change that much from sort of best practice IR in general. You know, just keep communicating, perhaps over communicate a bit to, to keep investors reassured, but just keep doing what you're doing. 
she said, quote, my message to IROs is to be clear on what your investment proposition is and then to focus on communicating it as uh, consistently and widely and effectively as possible. Before adding a don't panic. Advice Douglas Adams would be proud of. Is there also an element that if your if your investors are well clued up, if you've been doing your job well, then they'll be they'll be aware that these kind of changes might have that effect on on their shareholding or on their dividends or something. You know, hopefully it won't be too much of a shock for some, for most people. Yes, but I, I think the problem is that one of you know one of the aims is to be as consistent as possible, and and investors they want to have confidence in what you're going to be doing next, and so something like a dividend cut is a is a surprise, and those are always bad when you have to deliver those. It's just kind of delivering that bad news as as, as best that you can. And 2016 might be a big year for incoming regulation. What what news is there there this year? Yes, that's another topic that popped up in the article, something that we've uh, discussed on the pod as well a fair few times over the last year. New regulation coming in, which is going to impact areas like corporate access and uh, research. This is specifically MIFID II in Europe. As we know this week, it's now officially been delayed until the start of 2018. 3rd of January 2018, I think, is the uh, date in my diary. Thank you, Mifid expert Garnet Roach. Not at all. <laughs> what was that, 228? No. <laughs> is that wishful could, thinking? Could well be. But it's still something that uh, investors and, and brokers are going to be thinking about a lot this year and making some changes uh, as well. As, as, as has been pointed out, the... Um, when this regulation comes in, it's covering Europe as a whole. But what we're, one of the things we're waiting for, which is going to come earlier than that 2018 deadline, is detail on how the various different countries are going to implement this. And then once we have that detail, you'll start to see firms actually making changes in the way that they do things. So one IRO that we spoke to, um, Adam Phillips, the head of IR at Halfords, he's been talking to us about how he's been already preparing for these kind of changes as they come about. One of the things that people are worried about is that MIFID II is going to have a particular impact on smaller companies, potentially uh, meaning they have less support from the sell side in terms of uh, things like roadshows, conferences, and also research reports. And so he's saying that IROs should be thinking now about how they can be a bit more proactive in terms of securing the interest of investors. For example, he suggested IROs make sure, quote, their company information is as clear and easily accessible as possible to combat the potential impact of regulatory change on research. What, what else might be on the agenda for IROs this year, Tim? One other challenge, a final challenge that we spoke about in this, in this article that went up this week is budget cuts. So this is both budget cuts for companies, so potentially IR teams having less money to work with, but then also budget cuts affecting investors. And so investors potentially not having enough, as much money to spend on things like flights, going to conferences, traveling over to Europe to visit your, uh, or wherever you're based uh, to visit your, your chief executive and so on. For example, uh, Sue Scholes, uh, speaking to her again about this, she said, in some cases, potential American investors, she's speaking from the perspective of European companies, she said, in some cases, potential American investors are more reluctant to jump on a plane at the moment um, to Europe to meet with the chief executive. So companies need to think about how they can keep up those longer distance relationships in this environment where people are less willing to um, spend money on airfares. And w- w- one adv- piece of advice she had was to think more, more carefully about things like video conferencing, whether you can incorporate that into your IR program in one way or another. Video conferencing is something we'll be doing a, a survey question on over the next couple of months. We're going to be, a, as part of our big global surveys, we'll be asking how many people do video conferencing, whether they're doing more of it. And so it'll be interesting to see whether there's an uptick in that area this year. Well, interesting to hear, Tim, that the um, the trend is towards uh, more virtual meetings and um, teleconferencing. But Garnet, what other trends have you been seeing um, when you've been looking at uh, shareholder targeting? I believe there's a new report out. Well, I've been looking at the uh, the new BMY Mellon um, annual IR survey, which the research is actually conducted um, between February and April last year. 
But that offers some insights into where companies expect to find new sources of investment over the next five years, so it's still relevant, and um, how the criteria that companies use to target potential new investors has changed. Companies remain firmly focused on the US and the UK as the top destinations for investment, with the two countries remaining in first and second place respectively. Firms name the US, the UK, China, Germany and Singapore as the five countries likely to, quote, have the most have most strategic importance for new sources of investment in the next five years, says BNY Mellon. Half of respondent, half of respondent companies say China is likely to have strategic importance over the next five years, putting the Asian nation in third place from fifth in 2013. Germany also enters the top five for the first time, climbing from seventh place in 2013 to fourth last year. And where do BNY Mellon say this interest comes from? Well, interest in Germany has come, quote, predominantly from companies in Asia Pacific and Latin America, says BNY Mellon, while China was chosen primarily by companies in Latin America and the Middle East. Talking about the increased prominence of China, the study authors say, quote, this contrasts with the decrease in the importance of several of China's regional neighbours, Singapore, Japan and Hong Kong, all of which fell in rank from 2013 to 2015. And what does the report have to say about targeting criteria? What have companies been looking for in new investors? Well, there's been some quite big shifts, actually. The biggest change sees um, regional or country focus drop from number one position in 2013 to eighth in 2015. Moving up the ranks from fifth place in 2013, however, is a focus on investment style, which became the most important criteria for targeting potential new investors in 2015. Rounding out the top three is peer ownership, which remains in second place, and investor type in third place. The researchers also comment on the number of companies that do not actively target investors, which fell to 8.8% in 2015. Despite the small drop from slightly more than 10% in 2013, BNY Mellon says that it is, quote, still surprising to see that in 2015, nearly one in 10 companies still report that they do not target investors. Yes, well, for example, you'll read in our upcoming cover story um, on um, LinkedIn's IR team that LinkedIn does not do investor targeting because LinkedIn... Of course, everybody knows LinkedIn. <laughs> Everyone who's anyone knows LinkedIn. That's really interesting because there's such a, a big, a, you know, a big outfit. You'd imagine even even they would have to target the right kind of investor. You know, it's different from being known by everyone. I guess those those companies that sort of eight percent fall into two categories: companies like LinkedIn that are so well known that they don't need to do any targeting because everyone comes to them, and then the other group that just can't be bothered. <laughs> We'll need to subscribe to IR Magazine to perhaps find out the reasons why they should be doing this. Yes. I reckon that group probably don't subscribe to IR Magazine. (laughs) Uh, And one question you might level of that group is, why on earth do you work in IR? Well, I think Condice has five reasons they may want to reconsider. Yes, well, uh, it's great to work in IR. As we all know. (laughs) Because first of all, IR is exciting. No two days will be the same. In IR, you'll get to develop a set of skills that, uh, that is both broad and rare. Claudia Meyer from uh, recruitment specialist Taylor Bennett said, an investor relations officer must be very financially literate, but also be able to develop a strong narrative. You must provide counsel to the most senior company executive and buy side and sell professionals, yet also be ready to jump into action if a taxi fails to show up. Relationship building is crucial, internally and externally, and you need the emotional intelligence to read a room and discern what questions are really being asked. And what's in a reason number two? I feel like we're doing the kind of chart show at the moment or something, but reason number two. IR is strategic, or at least its strategic importance is becoming more and more recognized. Gillian Karen Cumberledge from uh, Fidelio said, quote, an IR role provides an excellent opportunity to acquire a bird's eye view of a company, 
giving real insight into the decision-making processes of the senior executive team, as well as the pressures it is under to deliver performance and meet market expectations. And she also highlighted that such experience could not be learned from a textbook. And thirdly, um, it's a must for uh, aspiring CFOs. Higher experience is more and more viewed as a prerequisite for well-rounded finance professionals, especially aspiring CFOs. When I spoke to Axel Nobel's former head of IR, Jonathan Attack, a couple of years ago, he said that early in his IR career, he was approached by a, a senior finance colleague who was interviewing externally for a, a CFO role, and, um, well, he, know, he knew nothing about IR, so he needed a briefing about IR tasks. And we, we see a lot of that, not just CFOs as well, but there's obviously um, Blair Christie, who's a CMO at Cisco, and a couple of others who we've, we've tried to interview over the years because they're always quite interesting. To, it's quite interesting to hear what they bought from IR that's so useful in the C-suite clearly something um what is reason number four that you have on your list well you'll get to see the world <laughs> according to our latest global roadshow report 90% of IROs uh, travel on roadshows spending 17 days on average on the road each year so uh, well that's a lot of uh, air miles <laughs> and IRO teams regularly visit London New York Boston Hong Kong but you might also get to go to these uh, one of these top 20 destinations such as uh, Paris Amsterdam Montreal and Stockholm And obviously the, uh, the glitzy locations of the IR Magazine Awards, if you're a very good IRO. Um, and what is the, the, final, the final reason? This better be a good one. Well, it's good for your bank account. Um, research from IR Magazine revealed that the median average pay for IROs in, is in the uh, $100,000 to $150,000 range. And IR heads are most likely to be paid between $200,000 and $250,000, with 5% even earning above $350,000. On top of that, 94% of IR heads received a bonus last year, and um, av that averages nearly 3% of their base salary. So not too bad. No, not too bad at all. That is a pretty good reason. Pretty similar to uh, salaries and bonuses at IR Magazine, then. <laughs> every time we mention IR salaries, <laughs> every time we mention it, we, we, do we it have for to love. remind people. We love, do it for not do. money. We do it for the love and the interest and everything else that goes with it. But you can also find out and a lot. And my baked goods. Yes. That is very true. Baked goods. They, they are love. actually, I think they, they would count technically as a bonus. If we worked in the upper echelons of a bank, we'd have to admit those every year. How many pastries from Condice we'd eat in that year? Many. Many, many, many. But if you'd like to um, find out more about um, IR practice across the world, or of course, um, check up, benchmark your salary against everyone else's. Like Condice mentions, you'd find out more in the Global Practice Report or the Global Roadshow Report to see where IROs are going around the world this year. You can find both of those at irmagazine.com forward slash research. But we're going to leave it there with, you know, extra, extra reasons for you to remain being an IRO. Thanks, uh, guys, for coming along this week and talking to us. Cheers, Louis. Thanks. Thank Bye. you. And we'll be back next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Ticker Podcast from IR Magazine. For free access to all the latest global investor relations news and analysis, register at irmagazine.com or download the app. 